0: Sitting here, and I'm realizing that I didn't turn my mic on. Got to do a sound check. I, my bad. Anyway, hi. Glad you're all here. That, uh, once again, in the rainy weather, the cold weather, you are the hardcore, and I appreciate you. So anyway, hey, we're doing a, a series right now called Pathfinder. Um, when we started Thrive Church, we um, we we had this idea that. That the church was going to have a purpose, and that purpose would, would be um, based in, in disciple-making, making disciples of Jesus, and that you know, the promise that we would make to people would, would really be this idea that we're going to try to connect everyone we meet to God and to others so that they can thrive, and uh, there's a whole bunch of theology that's involved in that. And then um, the, the purpose and the promise led to a pathway because we felt like... Um, In some of our research in the area, we had a lot of people who were talking about Jesus and we were having a lot of people talking about heaven and talking about um, different aspects. But really, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus in in real time in the real world? That was kind of our interest right from the get-go. Because I think just from, from a theology standpoint, we tend to talk a lot about heaven, but I'm not sure if heaven is really the point. Now, don't walk out of here saying, well, Pastor David doesn't believe in heaven. That's not what I'm saying. But I think the point of Christianity is to be like Jesus. And then heaven will take care of itself. Does that make sense? Because when I read the words of Jesus, very often I get this notion that he's less interested in getting us into heaven and more interested in bringing heaven to earth. And, and that's, the kind of, that's the kind of place that I want to be a part of. And it all starts with this idea of being a disciple, being like Jesus. And you know, I, I don't know about you, but the world could use a few more Jesuses, don't you think? Yeah, I, I find that compelling day after day, every time I check my news feeds, which is not as often as it used to be, I admit. So the series that we've been doing, um, I, I got some feedback from the staff. And this has just been a really affirming thing. And, and I, I think I confessed last week that sometimes pastors preach messages that they need to hear themselves. And a lot of these messages have really been that way, just reminding myself why I do this. And, and just kind of reconnecting to the fact that first and foremost, before I am a pastor or a preacher or a leader or a designer or whatever, I'm a disciple of Jesus. And it's trying to get back to that, that idea. So a couple of weeks ago when we, we started this on the first part of the year, we, we started thinking about checking in with God to form our discipleship. So we picked a theme for the year. How many of you are still working on your themes? Yeah? Okay. This is the first time, I think I mentioned this before, I've had two themes. I got um, a chance to to clear out some time this last week and try to really get my arms around the fact that I had two themes this year. And I'm like, God, is it really that bad? No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, they're, and I, what I found um, as I was kind of studying these themes for the year, they really fit together. And I, I thought, hmm, I, I didn't notice that at first, but. Um, anyway, so I hope that you're gonna allow God to guide you in your discipleship this year through a theme. Then, then the week after that, we did um, a quick history of discipleship. So we looked back in the New Testament, um, in, in the, the biographies of Jesus, to try to understand when Jesus talked about disciples, what did he mean? Um, because then we can take those ideas and then and transfer them and hopefully apply them to our own lives. So what was Jesus working with? And then last week, um, uh, we picked up a new theme. So at Thrive, we wanna make following Jesus clear. Um, go ahead and bring that next slide up for me. And, and so what we ultimately did is we said, look, there's three areas of, of church, of discipleship, of following Jesus. One is worship, one is grow, and the other one is serve. And we started, we started last week with, with this idea of, of, of worship, and we learned a couple of things. First, that uh, worship deals with our attitudes, that we acknowledge the fact that God is greater and therefore worthy of us paying attention to him. It also deals with our activity, that we, we gather together because he's worthy. We, we pray, we sing, we converse, we, we, we listen, we study, we do all of these things because God is worthy. So it's not just attitude and action, but finally it was about awareness, that Jesus said himself, when two or more are gathered in my name, I will be there through his spirit. So let me just say right up front, in case you wondered, we're gathered in Jesus' name this morning. So that means he's here. For real. Like, he's sitting next to you. It's not creepy, right? <laughs> he's, he's here. His spirit is here, and he's, he's involved, and he's doing things, and he's observing, and he's guiding and directing if, if we pay attention to him. So today I'm going to pick up um, on the next uh, aspect of, of what we you know, consider discipleship, is this idea of grow. And please understand, what we're saying here is not to try to make this so you know, simplistic, but rather to try to make it clear in the sense that, look, if you engage in these three things regularly, you're probably moving towards Jesus. Nobody at a church can force you to do one thing or another thing, but what we can do is we can say, hey, there's these three environments and we can give you some opportunities to engage with them. And then you can do that on your own as well. And and you know, we'll help train you to do that. But ultimately, that there are these three things that if you're working in those areas, if you're doing things, if you're engaged in those areas, you're on what we call a trajectory towards God, which is probably a good thing. Okay? You're heading towards heading towards Jesus. And that's what we're we're focused on. So worship today is about, about grow. And I think this idea of grow is very, very important because I don't know if you know this, but we are hardwired to do this. And here's why I know that. Because the thing that makes us the most happy, true happiness is progress. Think about it. Just in a very practical sense, we love knocking out projects. We love checking things off of lists, don't we? How many of you, be honest now, you're in church How many of you actually do something, then write it down so you can just check it off? Come on now. Yep, that's right. We do that. Why? Because progress makes us happy. And I think that there's a reason why I I believe God hardwired that um, uh, into us so that we would grow to be be like him. But what I found, and maybe you have too, you can be, you know, knocking projects out, and you can be making progress, and you can be, you can be happy, and, and it can be something for your work or personal life or even your spiritual growth, but inevitably, inevitably, we stall, don't we? It happens. There are a, a, a variety of, of ways that it, you know, sometimes it's just life gets in the way, right? We often talk about seasons of life. Um, I know that Pastor James, they just had a baby. Their season of life is very different than it was just a month ago. <laughs> and uh, like you said, he's a little sleep deprived. Right. So, you know, the point is we life happens, and sometimes it takes our attention away from things like growth and progress and and uh, especially if it's in your spiritual life. And, and please understand this. And I, I don't you know, want to make this sound, you know, over the top or anything, but the fact that you're, you're trying to become like Jesus, you're, you're, you're working with God, there are forces arrayed against you, okay? That's the truth of the matter. And, and, and sometimes they're not just you know, dark spiritual forces, but, but they're also the forces of just real life. And uh, you know, I'll just tell you, um, last night <clears throat> uh, we finished up um, you know, our preparations, our family preparations, and it was kind of late, and uh, at 1.40 in the morning, I was over at the local coming-go picking up ice because their refrigerator quit working. Now, let me ask you a question. Why did that happen on a Saturday night? <laughs> <laughs> really? Well, Friday would have been much better, you know? But things like that happen. And you can call them coincidence. You can, you know, whatever it is. But life happens. And so we stall because it pulls our attention away from those important things to urgent things. Uh, somebody called it the tyranny of the urgent, and, and yeah, it feels that way. Sometimes um, it can just be a negative experience, you know, just something derails you during the day, or it could be, you know, something happens at church. And, or I think sometimes what happens that derails people, at least spiritually, is that they start reading um, stories within the scriptures and they ask themselves a very simple but very powerful question. Why is it that all of the adventure that I find here in this book doesn't necessarily happen in my life every single day? You know what I mean? That there is, a, there is an energy to some of the stories in here and there is a, 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 a dynamic relationship between God and human beings and sometimes it doesn't match up with what our own life is really like, you know, for a variety of, of reasons. Or maybe sometimes you just feel plateaued. Have you ever felt that way? Where you've been kind of cooking along, and then all of a sudden you just hit this, and you're, okay, am I moving forward? Am I just spinning my wheels? I mean, what, what, what is it that, that's happening? And I, you know, I, plateau is the only word I could I really think of. And so what we often do is we then we go back to the things that are most familiar to us. Um, things like... Um, you know, we, we we sit down, we pray, or we may listen to some music, or we read the Bible. But for whatever reason, it just feels like you can't shake the stall. It happens, and sometimes complacency then creeps in. I, I think half the time, when I talk to somebody who has not set foot in a church in for uh, uh, set their foot in a church for a while, you, you talk to them, and it's not like they're mad or anything. It's just like, yeah, you know, we just got out of the habit. Just got out of the habit of going. I, I, I understand that. I know how that, how that goes. But that complacency creeps in, and you're just, you just feel like, man, I, I just feel stagnant. How many of you felt that way? I mean, you know, be honest. I, I think that, that happens. Well, let me just encourage you, because you're in good company. It's happened to a lot of people for a long period of time. So I want to talk about one in particular. So if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews. You're going to be in the book of Hebrews today. <clears throat> it's in the New Testament. It's towards the end of, of, the, of the New Testament. Um, if you hit the um, book of James, you've gone too far. Back up. It's okay. And while you're trying to turn there or you're plugging it into your, your digital device of choice, let me just tell you a little bit about Hebrews. Um, the author is unknown. Some people think it's Paul. They're wrong. <laughs> just kidding. I don't know who it is. Uh, <laughs> Uh, But Hebrews was written by someone who had an IQ that was off the charts. Absolutely brilliant writer. In fact, it uses a um, form of literature called rhetoric out of the Greek style, and it is almost a perfect example of rhetoric. It is a truly magnificent piece of work in Greek, and um, the... um, the material that's contained in it is very challenging, um, but it's also kind of in your face, and the um, audience for this particular work is a group of Hebrews, a group of Jewish people who were followers of Jesus, or what we would today call Messianic Jews. And so I wanna start um, in Hebrews because the author is, believe it or not, trying to help them get unstuck, that plateaued feeling that feeling of stall, right? That's, that's one of the themes that's going on in this book. And so let's pick this, this story up in uh, chapter five. I've got it on the screen um, just in case. I think I'm gonna go over here. I always go to that side because it stands here. Okay, <clears throat> the author is writing about Jesus in particular and a particular aspect of Jesus. And he says, we have much to say about this but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. I told you it was in your face, right? Okay. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. <laughs> Ouch! This is, what, this is the equivalent of he's kind of slapping the hand a little bit. There is a something that's going on in this group of believers that this author is taking issue, issue with. And so this is, is the critique. And he goes on. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being s- still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by... Who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So he starts off with kind of this critique, is like, you know, y'all need to grow up. That's the David version, by the way. And then he comes back and he uses this metaphor talking about food, about the difference between milk, which he would give a baby, right, James? <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and solid food that an adult would eat. I mean, it makes sense to us because we, we get those kinds of categories. And you kind of read through this and you wonder, man, what did they do? And on top of it, there's almost this notion when you're reading it that the author is getting ready to launch into something about, okay, here's the basics. It's all, it, all, it reminds me very much of, I think it was a movie um, not too long ago. I can't remember who it was, but um, the football team wasn't doing particularly well, and so the coach pulls him off to the side, and he says, we got to go back to the basics. Gentlemen, this is a football. <laughs> and, and as I'm reading through this, I'm waiting for that. I am waiting for the author of Hebrews to say, okay, let's, let's get, here it is again. Let's start all over. But <clears throat> something happens that I think is very interesting. So let's pick it up in chapter 6, verse number 1. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You were just talking about the elementary teachings. You need somebody to teach you, and now, wait a minute, aren't you going to actually teach us? Well, Let's move beyond that, he says. This is kind of a dramatic turn. This is a, a shift in the thinking and it probably would have taken those people by surprise as they were reading it. Because as I read the, the chastisement that was going on, I'm ready for the, the, the 101 lesson again. And he says, stop, hold on, let's move beyond that and let's go on to, to something else, something beyond the elementary I mean, teachings. I, just, I find that very interesting to read. And then he does this. He actually lists the basics. So he does in some ways teach what the basics are, but he kind of does it in a backhanded sort of way. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Okay, so if you, if you list them, you can, you can see there. Okay, first of all is repentance is a basic of Christianity. Uh, second is faith in God. Third is the act of baptism. By the way, in some translations, it actually reads um, uh, instructions about uh, cleansing rites. Okay, because please remember that baptism is not a Christian thing. Baptism came from um, a Jewish practice. So it talks about cleansing rites which just really troubles me because everywhere else in the New Testament, they always translate the word as baptism, but here in, in Hebrew, so i changed it for me because <laughs> it really bothered me. The word is baptismo. Let me hear you say that, baptismo. See, you can amaze your friends because you know Greek. All right, <laughs> so uh, baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So he's kind of listed out these basic concepts that would have been taught to all Jewish believers. Now, here's the interesting thing. I read one scholar who pointed this out that as a as a culture, as a religious culture, Jews liked the basics. They liked things like the Ten Commandments because it's something that they could memorize and it's something you could continually go back to. And so this author is actually challenging a cultural notion that it's not just about the things that you memorize. It's really about about what happens next? These are the basics, yes, but this goes on to something more. Now, here's the problem, though. He doesn't tell us what the what the mature things are. He just gives us the basics again. So he is schooling us, but he's not giving us what the, the next piece of the puzzle is. So what I thought we might do is we might take this idea of baptism in the laying out of hands and see if there's another passage in Scripture that might help us know what those more mature things are. Are you with me? Does that make sense? That's, that's my agenda? That's where we're going? Just so that you get it? Uh, I think this is an important piece for us to understand because it's one thing to go ahead and list out the basics, but then what, what is that next piece? And I think we can find that through some other places in the text. And this time we will access Paul uh, because Paul writes about some of these things. Um, no, I don't think he wrote Hebrews, but I know that he did write a book called Second Timothy. It's a letter that he wrote to one of his proteges, a man named Timothy, and he wrote two letters that we have uh, in, our, in our Bible. So turn with me to Second Timothy, chapter one. 2 Timothy, chapter one. Interestingly enough, um, kind of this idea of when you, when you look at that list of the basics uh, in Hebrews, they really are about beliefs. These are the basic beliefs, and we need, to, we need to make that notion very, very clear up front because something happens here in 2 Timothy that that's, uh, is going to help us, I think. So he writes to Timothy uh, about his mother and his grandmother. He says, I saw the faith in your mother and in your grandmother, and now I see it in you. And so he goes on and he writes, for this reason, because I saw this faith, I remind you to fan, uh, fan into flame The gift of God, which is in you through the, what is it? Laying out of my hands. Oh, wait, we just saw that in Hebrews, right? Laying out of hands. For the spirit of God, uh, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Now, this is fascinating because in the ancient church, when somebody was baptized, when they immediately came up out of the water, the elders or the pastors would lay on hands, and pray that they would receive the gift of the Spirit, which sounds to me like something we probably ought to reinstitute as a practice. And in some, some cultures and some religious, tra- or Christian traditions, they do that. And I think it's a very interesting thing here. So you've got baptism in the laying on of hands, in the ancient church happened at the exact same time. So here, when, when Paul is talking about, about this, he says, you received this gift from, of God Through the laying out of my hands. Okay? Now, notice what he says. You need to fan it into flame. For the spirit God gave us, that's the gift, the spirit God gave us, does not make us, what's the word? Timid, right? Fearful, another word for it. But gives us, what? Power, love, and self-discipline. Did you see that on the list of the basics? No. No. Fan into flame the gift of God, which gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Do you see where this is going? So the basics are these, these beliefs that we've listed back in Hebrews, but here we have power, love, and self-discipline. Now what's interesting to me is those three things are all action-oriented. They're all action. You can't just have power, you demonstrate power, whatever that might be. You, you, you don't just have love, you demonstrate love. In fact, people don't know if you, you love until you actually demonstrate it in some way. I think the great Stephen Covey once said, love is a verb, always. Love is a verb, it's an action. And self-discipline, hey, by the way, you have to exercise self-discipline. It's not something that you just get, it's something that you have to exercise. So think about that for a moment. We have this list of beliefs, these things that we understand, and now, going on to maturity involves some type of action. Are you with me? Is this making sense? Maturity is belief in action. So when, when, when we talk about going beyond the elementary teachings, what he's ultimately saying to the, this group of Hebrews, he's saying, do something with it. Don't just hang on to it. Just, don't stay on the treadmill. Don't keep spinning your wheels. In the basics, yes, we need to come back to the basics. He's not saying that. But to go on to maturity means taking those beliefs and actually putting them into some kind of action. Are you with me? Yeah. Very interesting kind of progression. And at Thrive, you know, Christianity is not just about believing in Jesus. Now, it is a step. It's a first step. This is a step that, that makes a lot of sense. But disciples, remember, way back uh, in the first couple of, of messages that we talked about, disciples learned to be like the rabbi. It wasn't just that they would learn all of the information, it wasn't just knowledge transfer, but they needed to be like the rabbi. And so that idea comes down through 2,000 years of history to us that our point here is to try to be like our rabbi, Jesus, who, if we're worshiping him, by the way, is right here. Yay! Makes it a little bit easier. Are you tracking with me? Does this make sense? Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful picture that's going on here. So if you're going to be like the rabbi, it's not that you just know those things, but you actually act like the rabbi. So now we can go back to the scriptures and we say, okay, what are the things that Jesus did and how can we we do likewise, right? Okay, so being like the rabbi. So let me make two just brief observations about this. Um, I think the first thing is when we talk about the idea of growing or growth, we have to understand something, that growth is intentional. It is intentional. And what I mean is, is that, look, becoming like Jesus is not passive. I get really tired of the magic wand. Oh, Jesus come, bling, and everything is better. Well, yeah, sort of, but it requires a certain amount of activity on our part. We have to partner with him to to do these things. And what's so interesting to me is that when we read in Hebrews, the author chastises them because they knew the basics. He even says, you should be teachers by now. You've been at this long enough. You know enough. There's no reason why you shouldn't be teaching this, too. But you're going to have to choose to go beyond that. They have to choose maturity. They have to move from belief into some kind of action. And so if we want to grow, we have to choose to be intentional about that, too. Right? Okay. <clears throat> now, I will say this. To, to, to grow uh, means resistance. If you've ever lifted weights, or done any kind of um, exercise regimen, you know that muscle growth happens with resistance. That's why we put big heavy weights on them. Make sense? I don't know about you, but I don't particularly like resistance. I I really like my couch, that's what I like. (laughs) Or the lazy boy, you know, I I like those things. Uh, We're all like that. And so sometimes when we talk about growth, it can be a little bit scary. But here's the upshot. You don't have to do it alone. And, and, and the reason is, is because growth is also communal. It's not just intentional. Growth is communal. The, the fact of the matter is, we, we need each other. And look at what the author says in Hebrews. He says, let us go beyond. He's not pointing his finger at, at these folks and going, you know, you people need to grow up. He doesn't say that. What he says, let us go beyond the elementary teachings. The author is in this too. Let all of us do this. Let us all of us move together. That is communal in my mind because none of us will get it right the first time. I know that might be a shock, but none of us are going to get everything right the first time. So I think we need to just start there and just be honest. I'm not going to get it right. You're not going to get it right. And we just... Lean into grace and mercy and apply it for all that it's worth, especially to each other. So here's the next step. It's intentional, it's communal, and what we are trying to do as a church is to create opportunities and a little bit of structure for people to be involved. Um, Don't have to be, but uh, if if this is something you feel like God is talking to you about, then you know, you, if you're not involved in a life group, maybe you ought to. A small group <coughs> setting. Usually there's, you know, 10 to 12 people that are involved in that. We meet, you know, twice a month. And um, the point is, is that you're not supposed to do life alone. There's this kind of American notion, and, and don't get me wrong. I, there's a lot of it that I like, but pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's really cool. It's very rugged very out west kind of America. But it's not a biblical idea. It's not. Because I need you and you need me. We need each other in order to do this thing called life because we're all going to have different experiences and perspectives and skills. And to think that you're going to do it on your own is alive from the pit of the abyss. Because I think what the forces of darkness want to do is isolate us. And that's not a biblical idea. We need each other. Now, do we all have to take our own responsibility? Of course, absolutely. But if I'm taking my responsibility and you're taking your responsibility, then we have equilibrium between us. And that's the idea that we're trying to get at here. It's communal. There is this I, uh, notion every now and then, if you've been around the church, there's a, there's a I think it's a proverb, that talks about um, as iron sharpens iron. How many of you have heard this before, right? You've heard this one? I really like that, but I just want to be clear that when iron sharpens iron, he's talking about a forge, and somebody's beating on somebody else. Think about that. It's a great metaphor, but sometimes you need somebody to kind of come along and challenge some of your assumptions and to work with you, and... And it gets messy, but you know what? If church isn't messy, you're doing it wrong because we have human beings who are living real lives in a very real world. But we need each other in order to navigate all of that. So into a life group might be helpful. Don't, don't do life alone. Here's the second one. Uh, we also do serve Sundays because and notice when, when Jesus is working with his disciples, they go with him. They do the things that he does. They actually witness the things that he was involved in. And so we, are, um, we do uh, service projects periodically. Um, Pastor James is going to talk about this again in a, in a few minutes, but um, this next Sunday, every fifth Sunday, what we typically do is we shut church down and we go out into the community and try to try to serve in some way, shape, or form. Well, a couple of our, our life groups have been reading a great little book called The Art of Neighboring. Because when Jesus said love your neighbor as yourself, he might, might, might have met your actual neighbors, <laughs> like the people who really live next to you. And, and from that standpoint, we wanted to take this opportunity. We're gonna still have church on Sunday, but we want everybody to commit to going out into your neighborhood, to your actual neighbors and do something. It, it, it's as simple as maybe baking cookies and saying hello. I got a couple neighbors I've never met. I've lived in my house for four years, but because of the nature of when I work and when they work, we don't necessarily, so, you know, Lisa and I are talking about just how, you know, Lisa makes great cookies. Trust me. I know. (laughs) And um, so we might go and do that. I don't know. She might have something else in mind, but the point is, is that instead of all gathering together and going out into the community, let's push it down into our actual neighborhoods and take Seriously, this book that we've been looking at about the art of neighboring and, and taking some first steps that way. So it's really about you engaging with your neighbor. I think James has got um, something for you to work on, and uh, I'll let him talk about that when it comes up. So really, this, this, this whole idea of discipleship is, is not about sitting on a, sitting on a couch and, and just you know, allowing something to happen, because when God works, it's always in real time and in real life. And uh, as we grow, we need to grow intentionally and we need to grow in community with others, if that makes sense. So I hope that's um, encouraging to you that you're in good company. If you feel a little stalled, it's okay. Other people have as well. But if we're going to go on to maturity, which we're trying to do, if we're going to make disciples, it means we have to be better disciples ourselves. Then we have to act. We need to do something to love demonstrate power, not in a domination standpoint, but the power of light and good to push back the darkness and, and ultimately self.